0: All right, you guys. Welcome again. Thanks so much for being here. I'm Matthew. I'm one of the pastors. As many of you are still getting coffee, that's totally fine. Um, I, uh, I want to just say again a, a special welcome for those who are visiting for Family Weekend. Uh, it's really good to be here, uh, to have you here. Uh, the weather is, I think, amazing right now. Um, just so you guys kind of get to know me, I'm sort of new around here. I have been wearing those really thick thermal socks for the last month because that's how badly I've been wanting the fall to come. So um, can you imagine when it's like 90 and you're wearing those thick thermal socks? That's what my wife has to deal with um, at our house. But I'm wearing them today, and it feels like this is the first day I actually could wear them. So um, yeah, thanks for being here. Uh, we are in this series called Invincible Joy. And again, we're looking at the, the book of Philippians. Um, you know, I think that, We've called it Invincible Joy because that is the defining theme of this book. Um, it is, it's, it's what it's all about. And so I think as we come at this uh, section today, we're going to be in verses 12 to 21. We're really asking the question, how do we live beyond our circumstances? So sometimes here we start with a big idea. This is a big question that I want you to be thinking through and wrestling with even as I'm speaking. How do we live beyond the circumstances of our lives? So I think sometimes you know, we, we and I'm, I, I do this too, it just feels like if we could chart our lives like spiritually and how we're doing, it looks a lot like this based on the events and the circumstances of our lives. Um, is there a way that we can live beyond that when life gets hard, when things get painful and we struggle and it's difficult? Um, can we live beyond the circumstances? And I, I believe we can. And I think what we need is we need a vision to, to guide our lives. We need a vision to make sense of it all. Um, and I think what, what Paul would say in the book of Philippians is that that vision, that idea, is this, this thing called joy. And so we're excited to be studying that uh, over these next few weeks. So um, just to set the stage... Uh, Pastor Matt did a great job last week uh, sort of explaining and outlining the whole book of Philippians. But just uh, to catch you up, give you the sort of the Cliff Notes version, Paul, the author of Philippians, had planted a church in this city called Philippi. It was a very pagan city. There was not even a Jewish synagogue there, so uh, not a lot of folks who love God there. Um, He's writing to them from a prison in Rome, and Paul would literally have been chained to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I mean, he is like, he cannot go anywhere. Um, Nero is the emperor of Rome. He's uh, basically psychotic. (laughs) And so uh, he commits unspeakable crimes against anyone who would challenge his authority uh, or who would bow to another. Um, And so that is all happening, and it's not great for the believers and for the Christians in that setting. And then on top of that, you'll hear Paul talk about it here in this section. There's this thing happening where um, other preachers are preaching the gospel, but they're doing it with false motives. It's like they're doing it to somehow attack Paul or to call Paul into question. Um, And so, that's happening. Uh, it's not a great situation, uh, you know, at least we would say, looking at it objectively. And then in the section right before this, verses 1 to 11, what Paul did was he basically opened his letter by saying, thank you for partnering with me in the gospel, and then I pray that your love would abound. So uh, he's, he's very much like the father, the, the planter of this church. He cares deeply for them. He's thanking them for supporting him, and then he's praying that in their context, their love would abound. Okay? So with all of that background, let's dive in to uh, Philippians 1, 12 to 21. Paul writes, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether with false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way Be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Our response to trials reveals the character of our inner life. This is just one of these like, fundamental realities and truths of life. I think it's actually, in your if you're a sermon note taker, I think it's the first uh, fill-in uh, there in front of you. Our response to trials reveals the character of our inner life. Um, it's easy, just to be really honest with you, it's, it's easy to... to love God and to want to serve Him and worship Him and, and spend time with Him when stuff is going our way, right? That's, we know that. But when things are not going our way, what do we do? Um, honestly, we can, we can fake it, I think, a little bit. We can fake our devotion and our love for God, and it sometimes gets masked with just like, I'm getting what I want, and it's really just about me. But when pain comes, when life gets hard, do our hearts really match our words? Um, we say that we love him. For Paul, suffering became the source of his greatest joy. It's so obvious in this passage that this guy, is, he's operating at this level where the suffering, the fact that he's chained to a soldier, that he knows that he's probably going to be executed for what he's doing, and yet he's, he's not wrecked. He's not destroyed. His suffering became the source of his greatest joy. He says, all right, I'm in jail. Okay, that's fine, because I'll lead the prison guards to Jesus. And that's what was happening. I can't continue planting churches. And Paul's like, that's fine, because you know what? God's still moving. And these other Christians who are sort of watching my life, they're becoming all the more bold and courageous, and they're out doing the work. He says, I might die that's okay because I can finally go be with my king. I mean, the guy is like untouchable. He doesn't just live beyond his circumstances. He's somehow living beyond his entire life. He's not just living beyond the events and what's happening. He's living beyond himself. He has this incredible depth of faith. There's no disconnect between his outer life and his inner life. It's all about Jesus. I love that we sang that song right before I came up here, because that is really, I feel, I feel like that's, that's Paul in Philippians 1. Just give me Jesus. Pain doesn't wreck him, and death doesn't scare him. And here's what most of us do, if you're like me. We look at Paul, and we, look, we read stuff like this, and we say like, oh man, Paul, he's amazing. He's my, he's my hero. The hero of my faith is Paul. And what we're kind of doing when we do that. And we say, like, well, I could never be like that, because that's Paul, and how would I ever dare to live like Paul? And I think sometimes we do that. Um, we, we, you know, he's, Paul was living at another level, that idea. I, I think we do it because when we, when we put people on a pedestal, then we don't have to ascend the heights of their commitment to Jesus. We put him up there as a way to be like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. That was great that he did that. That's awesome. But I'm, I'm doing it a little bit differently. I don't have to have that kind of commitment. If I put him way up there, I never have to be like him. And it is true that Paul was living sort of in a different realm, a different reality. But so are we. So are we. The same Jesus who transformed this guy and radically changed his life has transformed you. The same spirit who is living in him is living in you. The same kingdom that he inhabited, you are inhabiting right now. This faith that lives beyond circumstances, this faith, this joy in the face of really difficult, painful things, it is not for the extraordinary. It's not for just the the heroes of the faith. It's for everybody. And that, I think, should be equally encouraging and challenging, right? The encouraging part of that is that we can live by faith. We can live with joy in ways that maybe we didn't even think possible. We can actually not be dictated by the circumstances happening around us. I'm not saying that we don't feel them and that we don't absorb them. I'm not suggesting that we push them off and we ignore them, but we can, we can face them and we can uh, commune with God in the midst of them. Uh, and we can see them through the lens of the gospel, and it, tra- it transforms our hearts in the process. We can live that way. That should be really encouraging to us, but it's also really terrifying, and it calls us out because all the ways that we insulate ourselves, all the ways that we sort of orient our whole lives to avoid pain, and we orbit the atmosphere of, uh, of our own comfort, or we medicate pain, With unhealthy things, all of those things, God exposes them. And He says, No, this is not the way. We have to open ourselves up to what He might be doing in the midst of them. So, how do we live beyond ourselves? How do we live beyond the circumstances? That's our key question today. How do these circumstances not rule our lives? and dominate our emotions and our thoughts. And by the way, some of you, as I'm sharing this, maybe you think, like, you know right now what that thing is that's happening in your life, that difficulty, that trial, that suffering, that pain, and you have it, and you're thinking about it right now as I'm talking. Um, I think God wants to meet you in that today. Some of you are like, I don't even know what that would be, but that's okay, because this is a kind of a, this is a talk, a sermon, a lesson that, that is really important for us to sort of tuck away Because when life gets difficult, when you find yourself in the midst of really hard things, those times can be really difficult to actually hear and receive because you're so emotional and you're so, like, wrecked by what's happening that it's really hard to take in truth and to hear even from God's Word. So tuck it away. If you don't have that thing right now and you feel like life is going really peachy and fine and great, um, tuck it away. I suspect you'll need it someday. So... um, There's three things that we see in Paul that give us a vision to live beyond what we can see right in front of us. So here's the first. I think these correspond with your fill-ins. We live beyond the circumstances when the gospel is our treasure. When the gospel is our treasure. Look what Paul says in verse 12. He says, hey, all this stuff that's happened to me, it's actually served to advance the gospel. And in verse 14, he brags on the fact that other Christians are being more bold. They're being more confident. They're daring all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. His treasure was Jesus. His treasure was the advance of this amazing news that God had come to be with us to live with us, to teach us, to heal us, to die for us, and then to rise and be victorious over the grave and all that stands in our way to be in communion with God. He, He wanted that so badly. That was his treasure, that he had joy in the midst of what he was going through. And another one of these kind of just fundamental realities of life is that joy speaks louder than pain. It really does. And I'm not saying like, emotion or feeling happy. I mean joy, the joy that only comes from God. It speaks louder than pain. I think about Paul's life, and I just think the gospel never stopped being sweet to him. It it never got old to him that, that God would come to him and totally change his life from a guy that was persecuting Christians and overseeing the extermination of Christians to someone who would know God and have an encounter with the risen Jesus and be a part of planting churches all over the world, I just think it never got old to him. It never became a duty. It was his joy. And so as we think about our lives, I think the question is just, what would it look like for us to look at that stuff that's bugging us and annoying us and that's causing us struggles and the real pains and trials of our lives, what would it look like for us to look at that through the lens of the gospel? If you asked, how might this, whatever this is, serve to advance the gospel, either in my own life, in your own life, or in the lives of the people around you? Because the reality is, is that people are watching us. They're watching our lives. And it's, it, it, it does one thing when we're talking about the blessings and how God is, you know, working and He's providing, and that's awesome. We should tell those stories. But I think it's something very different. It's very unique. When people who maybe don't know the Lord are watching us go through really hard things and yet still refusing to walk away from God and actually finding deep intimacy and communion with God in the midst of it. I think people are wondering if any of this church stuff, any of this God stuff, this Christianity stuff is even real. And there is something incredibly powerful about seeing someone suffer and go through something hard and experiencing God in the midst of it that I think just speaks an incredibly powerful word to that skepticism and that doubt. So we live beyond the circumstances when the gospel is our treasure. The second, we live beyond the circumstances when the resurrection is our hope. Paul says I eagerly expect and hope that and I will no way be ashamed but that I will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or by death by life or by death for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain so he is convinced don't miss this this is a little like theological aside he is saying that Jesus is going to be exalted whether he lives or he dies and I think that says something about um, how we view suffering, and whether you know it's possible that we would go through hard things, and that if 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 that's happening, that I think that speaks something about whether God always wants to heal us or always wants to make it go away or not. For Paul, he says, "Jesus is going to be exalted either way, whether I live or I die." His pain brought him within reach of the resurrection. And I know that for most of us, you start talking resurrection, you start talking about eternal life, it's lofty, Um, it seems so far away that we don't think about it a whole bunch. If we're honest, sometimes when we do think about it, we're not really sure if we want it. This sounds a little strange to us, but for Paul, it's like he could almost taste it. And he wanted it more than anything else. In 2 Corinthians 4, he says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. This light and momentary affliction is preparing for us a weight of glory beyond all comparison. I think we have to have that vision if we don't have that vision, of course, really hard things are going to train wreck us, are going to make us question God, make us turn our backs on Him, of course. But when we get this, those things can't touch us, right? So if joy speaks louder than pain, here's another kind of, I think, core truth, reality of life. Glory weighs more than pain. So joy speaks louder than it. Glory weighs more than it. The vision of the future actually transforms the present, how we see it, right? So we know the end of the story, a tearless life, every injustice made right, every pain made pleasure. When we see him, we, we shall be made like him. And when we know that, and we, as Paul would say in Romans 8, as we groan for that, as we hunger for that more and more, the circumstances of our lives can't touch us. And so again, I, I think as we, as we face these things, the question then is like, how does that vision of the resurrection, of hoping, of groaning, and wanting that which will one day be our only reality, how is God moving my heart to really get that vision more? The third thing is we live beyond the circumstances when Jesus is our life. For me to live as Christ and to die is gain something is guiding your life something is doing that we are all living for something for some of us we say to live is pleasure and so the minute something starts hurting and isn't pleasurable then functionally we're no longer living for some of us we might say for me to live is to be strong to be in control But the minute that we're made weak and the minute that we lose control, then we're no longer living. Some might say, for me, to live is to be moral and to be righteous, and yet the minute that we have to depend on mercy and we fall flat on our faces and we realize that we can't do it alone, we're no longer living. For me, to live is to achieve, it's to accomplish, and the minute that you fail, you're no longer living. But for Paul, it was all about Jesus. It was all about Jesus. How could he live so fully abandoned to Jesus in the face of incredibly difficult circumstances? I think he knew this secret, this this fundamental reality of our life that that I wonder if we need to really redeem and and bring back to the center of our own walk with the Lord. In Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me. In 2 Corinthians 4, he talks about how he's living the life of Jesus, that he's being given over to death more and more each day so that the life of Jesus might be revealed in his body. And so here's the the so-called secret. I'm not sure it's really a secret. I just think it makes it sound more enticing to you if I call it a secret. So here's the big idea. We don't simply live for Jesus. We live Jesus. I don't know, it might sound weird or uh, strange to you, but we don't just live for Jesus, but we live Jesus. That's the vision that I think has to guide our lives, that we are dead, that somehow, mysteriously, spiritually, and it's hard to define, it's, it's hard to even articulate, we have died, and Jesus Christ's life is being lived out through our mortal bodies. And so we are called to imitate Jesus. We're called to be more and more like him each and every day of our lives for our own transformation and for the good of this world. And so our highest aim then becomes to be like Jesus. We'll never be able to say that death is gain if we don't first say, for me to live is Christ. The only way that we'll live beyond circumstances that will be unshakable in the midst of hard things is if we treasure being like Jesus more than anything else. If you look at Paul, and I think we do this sometimes, we look at Paul and we say, well, I could never be that mature. I could never be that fearless in pain. I could never be that joyful in death. You're not just saying that you can never be as great as Paul. What you're actually really saying is that Jesus can't really be that good. Right? Living like Jesus, it can't be that good, but he is that good, and all our joy is in in him. And when we get that, then no circumstance can touch us. Living for Jesus is great. I'm not here to, like, rip on that. I think it's fine language. I think we should say it. I think it's true. But the way that we do that is by actually living the life of Jesus, trying to be like him in every way, seeing every joy, every pain, every struggle through the prism of his life. And what we do when we do that is we have communion with him, deep, deep fellowship with him. That this God who came to live for us and to die for us, that we have the high honor of representing him, of being his ambassadors, of living his life, of giving people a glimpse of him and how we live. And so the question then, I think, to wrestle with is, has your life been swallowed up in the life of Jesus? This invincible joy, this peace and rest and hope and strength in the midst of pain and struggle, it is ours. And it's only ours because by the power of the Spirit, Jesus lives in all of us who call him Lord. None of this, by the way, makes any sense unless we worship a God who endured pain, who is well acquainted with suffering. Our God bled for us, he died for us. What an honor then it is for us to be like him, to suffer with him. That's the difference. We're doing it with him. What's at stake here? I think we can talk all day long about Jesus, but what this world desperately needs, what your friends need is to see Jesus in you, especially as you face hard things. Look at what it did to the people around Paul. I mean, they're just watching this guy. For all intents and purposes, he's, he's got not much to offer. He's chained to a soldier in a prison in Rome, and yet people all around are daring all the more with the gospel. And I just think, what if that would happen in this church? What if that would happen on the campus? What if that would happen in this city? If you and I, caught this vision of living Jesus in the hard times. Not just in the good times, but in the really hard times. And people would see that, and it would start this movement, and it would, it would change people's lives. That's what I pray for. May the world see its king in us, and may we inspire others to dare all the more for him. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for giving us your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus. God, would you give us that vision to be made more and more like you? God, whatever might be happening in our hearts, whatever pains, struggles, trials, difficulties are happening in our life right now, God, would you just arrest our hearts, grip us with this vision that in all things you are forming us more into the image of your Son. And Lord, I pray that the world watching us, the people who know us, who maybe have drifted from you or who don't know you, as we see, as they see us commune with you and have deep fellowship with you in the midst of those struggles, I pray that you would draw them to yourself. Jesus, thank you for suffering for us. Thank you for rising victorious for us. We know that no matter what happens in our lives, whether by life or by death, in the good and in the bad, you will be exalted. May we exalt you. We pray in your name. Amen.